Hey, you know what time it is. It's the Showtime Balling NZ, New Zealand's basketball podcast, speaking to hoopers, coaches, or anyone growing the culture of the game of basketball in Aotearoa, their story, their way. Let's get it. In this episode, we speak to Shopmaker Academy and also coach from Tiaroha, coach Alex Stojkovic, not Stojakovic. My apologies, you'll hear that in the beginning of the episode. Hey, this episode is talking about his time through basketball, all the way through as a player to coaching, into development coaching, and of course with Shopmaker Academy. A lot of awesome information to digest and to dive into it. Let's get into it. Without further ado, let's go. Our podcast is proudly sponsored and brought to you by the hydration team over at R-Line. R-Line has been scientifically developed at a leading New Zealand university for active people and athletes of all ages. The easy-to-mix concentrate contains just what you need to hydrate and recover from exercise and hard work, and oh, it tastes so good. R-Line is designed to promote the availability of energy and to prevent or treat mild dehydration that may occur as a result of strenuous exercise. For more information, check them out on social media and also on rline.co.nz. Get yours today. Kia ora koutou katoa. Welcome to the show, Showtime Balling, Balling on All Levels, New Zealand's basketball podcast. Uh, in this episode, we're speaking to an awesome coach who's based in Te Aroha and also a part of the Shopmaker Academy, Coach Alex Stoyakovic. Welcome to the show. Well, welcome, John. Uh, actually, it's Alex Stojkovic, um, but, uh, you know, um, back in the day, I was mistaken for a cousin or somebody from Peja Stojakovic. Peja Stojakovic, uh, yeah. yeah they... Very, very similar, very similar surname, but but not spelled quite the same, but yeah, that's all good. Oh, excuse my poor um, enunciation or uh, translation for your, of your name, but Coach Alex, thank you very much for taking the time. You've got a plethora of knowledge in that basketball mind of yours, and we're looking forward to tap into it. Yeah, looking forward to it. Um, you know, I was looking forward. I, mean, I think we tried to uh, do one of these about a year ago and and uh, didn't come around to it. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to be to be on the call with you. Nah, awesome. Um, cool. Quick introduction. Represent. Where are you from? Well, originally originally born in Germany. Um, Mom is German. Dad is from former Yugoslavia, Montenegro, to be precise. Um, moved here in '98, and uh, yeah. Been lucky enough to be involved in basketball more or less since around 2001. Um, so yeah, that's my uh, my background. Massive. The passion for basketball. Where did it start? Um, probably 92 Olympics. You know, now I'm dating uh, dating myself a little bit. You know, like um, yep. um, so I think that's the first time I really took basketball or really took notice of basketball watching the Olympics. Uh, original dream team. And then in about 93, 94, a lot of my friends started playing. I was playing a lot of football or soccer back back, back then. And then uh, they started playing and got into it and yeah, just completely fell in love with it. And um, yeah, so I started playing about 94, 95 and been involved ever since. Yeah, well, because a lot of style of play obviously is a massive differential from, you know, the European style of play versus Kiwi or American all around. So... For you, when you're hooping back then, the differentials, and if you are talking about like the 92, look at like the dream team as such, but um, yes, yeah, style of play, what was it for you back then? 
well, I, well, I would say the coaching was a lot stricter. You know, there was uh, <laughs> there, there was a very black and white, a lot of uh, being yelled at. Um, uh, you basically had to do what you were told. Um, you had to bite your time. There was clear hierarchy. So the senior guys, when I was about 17, 18, I was playing on the senior team on our club. And, and uh, yeah, the seniors uh, basically got the majority of the shots and the majority of the minutes. And you just had to be there and make up numbers, you know. And, and uh, yeah, but it was fine. I didn't. I didn't mind, um, but it was, it was definitely a different different coaching style back then. In terms of style of play, wasn't that much different back then. Maybe a little bit more, well, I mean, initially more set play based, right? But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's mainly the coaching that was very different to, to, um, to New Zealand. Yeah, so we're talking about set plays, but we'll talk about how that has evolved into today's um, day and age later in this episode. So you've t- you came over, started within basketball in New Zealand. Yep. Why did you choose to get into um, coaching? To be honest with you, it was pretty much by accident. So I was playing a lot of club basketball up at North Harbour and uh, I, was, I was on a team with an American fella and his son uh, went to Takapuna Grammar School and um, they needed a coach to, to run the team during summer league. And he thought, hey, you would make a good coach. Why? I'm not too sure. But uh, he thought uh, I would make a good coach. So he introduced me to Mike Rogers, who was the was the head coach at the time and director of sport at the school. Introduced me to Mike. And um, uh, Mike basically gave me the team for the summer. And that was my first coaching experience when I was, I would say, I was maybe 20, 20, 21, 20. Yeah, 20 years old. And um, I was lucky that Mike really took me under his wing. And, um, you know, a lot of my opportunities in basketball actually have come through him. So, yeah, so that's how I started. And I'll be honest with you. I mean, I was, I was an average player at best. You know, I, I wasn't very good, but I, I just really had this real passion for the game. I just loved it so much. But when I started coaching after, after a year or so, I, I thought, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm not going to make it as a player, but um, that coaching thing is, is pretty fun. Maybe that's something I could do as a profession. Mm. Oh, look, I totally can resonate with you with that. Like, you know, you, you could sometimes say, like, for instance, like a real top level elite player may not be a good coach. Um, but, you know, like those those roles were reversed around. But yeah, I, I totally understand where you're coming from um, in regards to that. So you obviously found a way to connect because connecting with, you know, your athletes is quite huge. Is that right? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's a relationship, um, relationship business on all levels, right? Whether it is uh, getting getting jobs, um, getting coaching uh, opportunities, and then within teams, you know, you have to you have to build good relationships, and that's something that I've probably been got better at over time. Um, again, maybe how where I came from was a little bit more stricter, and then maybe a little bit more separation between coach player, but. Um, but I think over the years, I've, I've worked on, on the relationship side of things. Okay. So from where you first started as a coach, can you possibly break down your timeline? Because over that time, you've probably jumped into different roles here and there. So all the way up to now, I know it might be a large list, but can you just go through those memorable um, coaching um, positions? Sure. Um, so I started at Takapuna Grammar School. As I said, I was uh, the assistant coach for Mike for a couple of years. And we had some great teams. We finished third at secondary schools nationals two years in a row. Um, lost lost the semifinal to Westlake Boys in overtime one time and then lost to Church College in the semifinal the next year. Um, then I was lucky enough to coach the team myself for a season. 
Um, and then Mike went on to be the CEO at Harbour Basketball and he got me involved there in some initially just being an in-schools coach. So I did that kind of work. And um, and then I was lucky that Graham Legg, who, who ran Northside Basketball Club, I don't think the club is run as such anymore, but they had a second division team. And back then there was lots of second division teams, but never enough coaches. So Graham asked me to coach second division when I was also only maybe 21, 22 so I started coaching second division with basically no real coaching knowledge, to be honest, just, mm-hmm. just a lot of passion. But um, I did second division for about five, six years in a row and had, had quite a bit of success on that level later on. But initially, it was just terrible. You know, I was, I was stuck with the worst team and I, I, I probably was the worst <laughs> coach, but it was, a, it was a great learning experience. So did that. And then Mike um, got me involved with the Harbour Heat back in 2005. As an assistant coach, I was an assistant coach on that team for a couple of years while also coaching the Harbour Heat Reserve second division team. And um, so that was all great, great learning experience. So like I've been an assistant coach for a few years and, and then got, got quite a few head coaching opportunities from there. And uh, I know it might sound like a broken record, but Mike moved down to Tauranga to start working for the Bay of Plenty the union and um, they set up a team down there, second division team with the goal of getting a first division license and he asked me to come down there and coach the team so I did that for a couple of years unfortunately we couldn't get a license but um, still we had some great success over at the place pumping pretty good we had big crowds, good sponsorship levels we had imports I mean it was really good, good stuff for second division and from there what did I do? Um Coach Taranga Boys in 2009, uh, won Super 8 that year. And then in 2010, I went back to Harvard Basketball as um, uh, development officer. And uh, what did I do? In 2011, I think I coached the Harvard Under-21 Girls, won the national title. Then 2012, I was lucky enough to coach the Harbour Heat uh, National League. So that was uh, coach, coach them for a season. And then probably the best team I've coached was the Harb Under-23 team uh, back in 2013. Um, we had a great team that year. was the likes of Isaac Fotu on the team. Um, won a title there. And then my wife and I, we decided to move to um, Hamilton. Um, just purely out of financial reasons because we wanted to get into the housing market. And it was just hard to get anything in, in Auckland. So... Uh, managed to buy a house in Hamilton and uh, I coached um, at St. Peter's Cambridge for a couple of years, uh, which was a good experience. And from there, I uh, got offered a job in Tearua for the Tearua Basketball Association and uh, been doing that ever since. So for five years now, going into my sixth year mm-hmm. and coached Tearua College here and uh, rep, lo- local rep teams. Yeah, so that's my coaching history in a in a nutshell, I suppose. Man, that's a lot of experience and I suppose a lot of lessons I learned along the way. All the way from back then to now, what would you say to Coach Alex starting out? What do I think of my coaching if I look at myself back then? Yeah, so like if you were to look, you know, know, jump in your DeLorean and go back to Coach Alex back into when you first started, what are you telling that that, um, that, that coach? Probably uh, uh, stop being an idiot. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I was maybe I don't know, maybe a bit too arrogant. Um, you know, I was always willing to learn, which I think is a good thing, and I was willing to work work at the craft. But um, 
But I think if I really think about it back then, I was coaching more for ego and not for the right reasons, if that makes sense. Yes. So like back then I was thinking, or to be fair, I probably attached my self-worth to the outcome of the team. You know, so um, we, we win, I feel good. We lose, I feel bad, right? Yes. And so, so then I made it all about winning, you know, try to get the best possible team, win a championship, whatever, versus now my primary motivation or driver is to help players achieve their goals. And then if we win somewhere in between, that's a great byproduct, but it's not my main driver anymore. So that's that's probably what I would tell myself is, is do it for the right reasons. For real. Like um, I, I can totally hear what you just said there because yeah, there's quite a lot of you know young coaches who are just getting into the game. They want to try and make it easy on themselves and naturally thinking, if I have the best team available, this should be an easier task. Not necessarily, I believe. that be. I don't reckon that's true because you've got to manage yourself like egos. You've got to manage uh, talents. How do you distribute the time amongst their talents? But um, yeah, and, and these high expectations when you get those sort of teams, right? Oh, 100%. You know, I mean, when I was young, I, I had a couple of teams where I remember I was coaching the Harbour under-20s one year and I had Corey Webster, Tom Abercrombie, uh, Marcus Whippy in the team and we were favoured to win the tournament and then we got, um, we lost the semi-final to, I think it was Hutt Valley and um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I'll be honest, it's probably because of, because of uh, coaching, you know, so uh, because we did have the talent so yeah definitely like coaching talent um it's not easy um it takes it takes experience it takes takes people management skills right that i i just didn't have at the time mm, no understandable because you have like these top elite um coaches uh, sorry players who probably been coached by many of coaches and some are like hey look you can't coach like you know my favorite coach and it's hard sometimes because you know, you're managing the personality versus the talent. You know they've got the talent, right? So you're just trying to formulate a you know, reasonable gameplay or you know, anything that will help get results. That's right, yeah. Mm. Okay, so now that you've got all that information and all that experience, now you're probably looking at how do you organize your training sessions? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good uh, topic in itself. Um, and, and I know we've, we've had a chat about this before, but basically... When I was younger, and it's partially from what I've been taught, right? So, so obviously you learn from what you see. So, just looking at um, the people I was um, working with at the time, a lot of it was uh, based on set plays. Um, a lot of it was five on zero. Um, a lot of conditioning. When I'm talking about conditioning, I'm talking about like straight running, not not trying to incorporate conditioning within within the game, and. Um, and what I've learned over the years is that that's all good and well, but but it's it's basically neglecting one one huge aspect of the game, which is decision making, right? So, um, I always say I always say that, that the decision precedes the action, right? So, like if if we're talking about something simple like shooting, right? Um, I can have the nicest shooting technique, but if I take bad shots, I'm not going to be a good shooter, right? So, what I need to do is before I receive the pass. I need to make a decision. Am I going to shoot in this situation? Am I going to make a pass in this situation? Or am I going to drive, right? And and uh, uh, then when I receive the ball, then I can uh, uh, take the appropriate action, right? So I need the technique to, to underpin the uh, decision, right? But what mm -hmm. we're doing here in New Zealand is we do a lot of, say we're shooting, 
and it's not just New Zealand, but but I do see it here a lot. We do a lot of shooting practice where it's just just reps, reps over reps over reps over reps, hundreds of reps, and we're thinking, well, we're shooting a good percentage in, um, when we shoot 25 threes, we're making 18, 19, 20, that that's going to translate straight into the game, but it actually doesn't, right? Because um, because you have to incorporate decision making in, into that, and it's the same with plays, right? So you can run a pick and roll three on zero. And that might be good to work a little bit on technique. So the players have got some options. So they know, okay, cool. Uh, this is this is what we can do. But, you know, you'd be much better off trying to incorporate uh, uh, some type of, even if it's guided defense as soon as possible, so the players can, can appreciate, okay, he's pushing me into the screen. He's pushing me away from the screen. He's mm. pushing me away from the screen. The screener needs to understand, okay, we have to change the angle of the screen. And then and then we we go from there, right? So so I I would say... From where I've come from, my practices have gone a complete 180 from being mainly on air to to being very much focused on on trying to develop decision making. Mm. Yes, um, yeah, absolutely. Because anything can happen. Because you're going against uh, other coaches who will be training defensive strategy to offset whatever offense that you got in play and honestly like a chair in front of you or you know or a cone that you're working on a crossover isn't going to give you as much value as a moving body or something that can kind of deviate or variate you from making a decision okay um, 100%, yeah 100% agree with you on that mm, yeah so um so how do you come to that what, what's the breakdown for you in terms of um making that effective throughout your training so, I mean, if I give you like a basic rundown of a session, it would be um, we, we start with a little bit of technique development and um, and we always make it individualized based based on, on players' needs. So, for example, we get into the gym and say we've got 10 kids. Um, we split them up into anywhere between two and four groups and every group is working on something specific that they feel they need to work on, right? So, the point guards it might be we need to work on a left-hand floater, um, post players might want to work on um, a spin back from the baseline. Somebody else might just work on pure just shooting technique. And we do that for about five, 10 minutes every session. And then from there, we pretty much go into some, some type of guided um, sequence straight away. So any anything that could be like a, a two-on-one, so one defender versus two offensive players um, or even two-on-two guided, always depends on the numbers of practice. And when I say guided defenses, that, that means defenses going at about maybe 70%. And uh, they are um, giving the offense a pre-described option. So let's say on a pick and roll situation, we might say to the defender, you must go over the top. Okay, so you must force the ball to the screen and you must go over the top. Then the uh, player on offense can work on a setup on the pick and roll. He can come off the screen and then he can find a solution on how he's going to score, whether he might hit the roll man. Um, you know, he can work on putting putting his man into jail a little bit, shoot a floater, whatever it may be. But it's not 100% live. It's basically working up the, I suppose, the complexities, right? So we, we try to make it fairly, fairly simple first, right? Mm -hmm. and, and from there, from the guided defense, we go live. Most of the time we go live three on three. Four and four is good as well. Um, and we're talking like half court, three and three, or four and four. And again, we start with rules. So now we're playing properly, hard with intensity, but but within rules. So 
if the guided defense for today was we're going to go over, we start the first game also with the defense having to go over the top, right? So now the players on offense see what they've just worked on with guided defense in a real life situation, right? Yes. And then, then it's all about it's all about finding the right solution. So they play, and then we're looking at okay, did they take a good shot? Was it a high high quality shot? Was it a bad shot? Whatever. So like we define shots, good shots, basically being um, open, um, in range, and on balance. Um, there's some exceptions to that rule, but that's generally how I would define a define a good shot. So when we when we run an action, our our main advantage or main goal is we want to try to create an advantage. So advantage could be a numbers advantage, a spacing advantage, uh, you know, forcing forcing the defense into longer closeouts. But but we spend a ton of time on spacing, creating advantages through actions. I think um, somebody like Ross McMahon's calls it dominoes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Create the advantage, and then from there the ball has to keep moving until we find that open shot. You know, there could be a kick-out extra pass, could be a kick-out drive again, um, whatever it may be. Could be a kick-out, hey, we can't see a clear advantage, just keep the ball moving, maybe another handoff, or we flow into another pick-and-roll. But um, that's basically the style of play we want to we want to do. So we've got some rules, and then, and then towards the end of practice, we allow the kids to play free. So we might say, okay, today the action is uh, uh, sideline pick-and-roll, but you guys can pick the defense based on matchups. Right, so I put the teams into uh, the kids into teams, and then I say it's up to you guys how how you're going to defend the other team. And I always like to listen in to see what they come up with. Right, so they might say, "Hey, um, I know let's let's use the switch as example. Like, say we worked on switching today. Obviously, they might create a mismatch inside, and they discuss how they're going to cover the mismatch. And we actually had that the other day, and. One of the players said, let's go single coverage, even though it's a mismatch, because the other team has got two good shooters, so we don't want to give up an open three if we double down. I'm like, great. Love it. That's a that's a great uh, plan of attack. But then I always mention to them, you have to have a plan B in place if that first plan doesn't work, right? Because that sounds good in theory, but this is like coaching when you pre- prepare for a game and you have a game plan. You come into the game with your plan, okay, against this player, this is what we're going to do. But then that player all of a sudden kills you anyway, so you have to make an adjustment, right? So one of the rules our players are allowed to do is they can always call a timeout during a game. So if we play three and three half court, they can call a timeout and, and they can make adjustments if necessary. Because what I don't want them to do is make a decision and then recognize it doesn't work and then just keep doing the same thing over and over, right? So mm-hmm. so they I would expect them to make a to make a um, make a change up if necessary. And yeah, so that's basically how we play. And then depending on numbers, if we've got enough kids, we will finish with some five on five full court. But um, but I'm also a believer in trying to give maximum repetition where possible. So I find three and three or four and four uh, better in, in a training environment than five on five because kids just touch the ball more. So it makes sense to um, to incorporate that in practice as much as possible. Awesome. That's great. That's great insight amongst that passage of conversation. Uh, I've heard a lot of positive um, terminology amongst that. Uh, one word I heard in there was solutions, um, and solutions is massively important for the growth of not just the game, but the kids, um, you know, like IQ and and terminology. And because we've got to try and, and the player empowerment that I'm hearing amongst your training, that's that's 
you know, player centered teams are tough teams to kind of go against versus, you know, a coaching centered team. Uh, and yeah, look, because I think you've seen throughout the years and you've got this, all of this experience, and you probably feel like we've got to try and find a way to kind of make sure that these kids are power, um, you know, player empowered and they can find the solutions amongst the games because we don't want kids that it's turning up the trainings and they're not utilizing the, the solutions or the options when it comes to game time? Well, what, I mean, what happens a lot is that, that um, well, there's two things that happen, right? One, you, you rock up to a game, and like I said, as a coach, I might have a game plan. We might have watched the other team play on video, and we noticed they like to switch the pick and roll. We practice it, we come to the game, and then all of a sudden, we, we start the game, and, and they're playing a completely different defense than, than what we prepared for, right? Yes. Um, I think it should be up to the player. Of course, I can call a timeout, right? But the player should recognize on the court pretty much straight away after a couple of possessions that uh, what, what they're doing is actually not what we prepared for. And I like to think that they should be able to find a new solution based on what they what they see, right? I think that is super important. You know, like you said, you have to you have to encourage and empower players to make solutions on the court, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in that for sure. Well, that's probably coming down to the culture that you put in sense and play. Because if you don't put, if you don't set the 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 culture or the guidelines before and give the and, and like saying, hey, look, I'm going to empower you players to make decisions and calls. Because sometimes I've seen along the way that you know some teams and some players have been stripped of that you know of that player empowerment. So there's a little bit of uncertainty in regards to our oh, coach says I have to do this. I must do this. Even though I'm making a read here and I can see if I did this, this will probably be better off. But I am stripped of my power of giving that option. Yeah, so, so and the question there is always why. Why is the coach doing that, right? And, and uh, to me, the answer is because they, they, their main priority is winning. Yes. Okay. They're not. They're not necessarily concerned about developing the player for the long term. They're worried about the short term. Like I can go to any any league or most leagues other than NBL, and you can you can just run some set plays where your best player gets the ball every single time, and you're going to be more or less effective and uh, and, and and win a lot of games, right? But is that helping anyone? That's a question, mm. right? So so I think. When, when you go down the path of empowering your players to make decisions on the court, on the short term, it might look a little bit messy and, and you have to you have to expect them to make bad decisions, right? Because how do you learn? You learn from mistakes, right? Yeah. Um, so this is the other thing. Oftentimes I see, hey, player makes a mistake, boom, off the court straight away, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you, have, you have to allow them to play through mistakes, okay? Now, if a player, like for example, if a player is lazy, it's different, right? If, if, if I watch them and they're not getting back on defense, okay, you're out, right? But I, I will never take I will never take a player out for, for making a mistake on offense if they're trying something that, that you know, we've been working on in some way, right? Yes. Um, and I think that's important. Like, we have to decide, and, and every coach is different and every coach can do whatever they want. So I'm not saying every coach should be solely void about developing the players for the long term but i would like to think if you're coaching junior basketball it probably should be right up there in terms of priority for you right yeah absolutely yeah um and that's going to go into our next part of this um this episode we're talking about the coaching support because maybe that coach does not have the support or does not have the experience underneath them to go hey look i've this is all i know 
And and rewinding back to what I said, because then players become so hesitant because they're being drilled into the head that I must do this DHO here, or I'm going to I'm going to get taken off, I'm going to get subbed out because I don't want to do that. So I've got to go against game. So in regards to that, coaches that need support, how do we support coaches around New Zealand? Because we need more of them in there. Because um, you know it is, it's a voluntary gig. Um, there's a lot of coaches that take pride in what they do but they're not getting the support or you know they're trundling through endless hours of youtube um, um, clips they're going you know here and there trying to find things but they don't actually know so coach how do we support yeah it's a tough one right um because right now the situation is that for the majority of coaches you are left to your own devices it's up to you to find um to find you know, what you're looking for, right? Because there's just very limited support. Like, obviously, somebody like myself, I'm lucky because I am working full-time in basketball. So, you know, I can organize my day. That, that professional development is pretty much part of my day most days, right? Whether that's reading something or watching a game or, you know, like looking and breaking down some EuroLeague footage, whatever, right? I, I, I've got that luxury, but a lot of coaches obviously don't, right? So, and then the second part or second problem, as you said, well, they can go into YouTube and just look at uh, uh, all sorts of stuff. And, and the, the worry I always have with that is, well, what are they actually looking at, right? There's so much information out there. How do you decide what, what, what's good or relevant for what you need, right? Obviously, it's a big difference when you watch an um, NBA team run a pick and roll versus a team at the under 18 European championships, right? So, so you have to make sure that you're watch, actually watching something that's relevant to, to the age group um, that you're working with, right? So, to answer your question, um, like a lot of it will, will ha- would have to be done at a higher level and then hopefully filter down, you know, whether it's coming from Basketball New Zealand directly or associations, right? I think, I think, and, and again, that's always a funding issue, right? So, I know because I'm working for an association because there's only so much so much funding around for, for things like coach development, but, but I would like to hope that you know, as, as a nation, we see coach development or, or we should put more emphasis on coach development because the better the coaching, the better the players are going to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's one, one thing. And then I suppose it's just it's just like what I like to do. Is, so when I mentor some coaches, you know, sometimes I've got some young coaches who ask me, hey, um, what, what should I do or what should I look at, right? Then then what I like to do is I always try to point them in the right direction, you know, and 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 look at information where I think that's going to be helpful for them, right? Um, so that's what I like to do, you know? So, like, I mean, I could give you some resources or, or people where I think that are worthwhile looking at if, if you want. Um, uh, because I think I think that is that is always a big danger is what, what information are you actually looking at? Mm, yes. Um, again, I know there's a lot of people out there who want to get into coaching and, and those, because coaching can be a hit and miss sometimes because you want to give up your time, you want to give up your hard energy, but some, yeah, it's, it's hit or miss because you're got to, you're trying to service or trying to, you know, teach the youth of today how to play the game. And you, then you've got a service. If you're doing it for representatives, you've you got to look at in terms of your, what the association wants. Uh, Mum and dad that's paying X amount of money for my kid to go and jump into a program. How are you going to – is my kid going to play? So there's a lot of things. Because I think looking from the outside in, you know, people can say, oh, your coach is this and that. But, man, there's so much that goes into coaching. 
Yeah, a hundred percent. And and I think one thing you mentioned there is like red basketball, core time, those type of questions, right? And and I think this is where we sometimes also fall short, especially as associations. We don't provide clear enough guidelines to to anyone involved. We don't provide clear guidelines to the parents, the players, or the coaches. Oftentimes, the coaches don't even know what's expected of them. Am I am I here to win? Like, am I meant to win under 15 nationals? Am I meant to develop players? Am I meant to find a balance between the two? Am I meant to select bottom age kids, top age kids? Would you like me to have half each? What? Um, th there's a lot of uh, a lot of clarity missing. Parents, hey, um, you know, at this level, yeah, everybody's going to get equal court time. At this level, court time is based on what you're putting in. Um, th there's there's a lack of there's a lack of direction, right? That. Mm. And and I think that goes so that that's separate a little bit from um, from actual coach uh, coach development, right? Like I think I think associations or schools need to make it very clear when 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 they say, for example, they say, "Hey, we're looking for rep coaches," and when they interview someone to say, "Hey, look, uh, for this age groups, this is our expectations." You know, we expect you to uh, play everybody equally. Let's just say for under 13s, right? And then the coach might say, hey, you know what? That's not my cup of tea. I, I want to win. Great, no problems. We go our separate ways, right? But yes. what, what happens a lot is we say, cool, who wants the coach's team? Somebody says, yeah, I'll do it. And then they would just leave them, okay? We just leave them. They, 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 nobody goes and watches their training. Nobody observes them at coaching at games, right? And then all of a sudden, uh, you get the phone calls. Hey, you know, we're paying $500 to be at this tournament. My son hasn't played for the last three games. What's going on, right? And mm -hmm. I, I don't think that's that's necessarily uh, uh, the coach's fault. Like, I think uh, a lot of it falls on, on whoever is organizing these teams and not, not providing clear information for anyone involved about what's what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah, because I'm not, not trying to use this as an example, but I'm, I've heard this around the country. It's like, here's a bag of basketballs. Uh, here's a whistle. Here's a clipboard. Go. <laughs> you know, here you go. Here's your team, um, such, such, and such. And as you said, if they can give you their proper guidelines so the coach can fall back onto that and say, hey, look, hey, we weren't successful. We come dead last. But I was told my guidelines are I've got to give everyone equal time. I've got to do this and that. And then it gives that, that coach that breathing space to alleviate that. Because, that you, know, you know, reputation is everything for a person in, you know, in or out of the public. So, yeah, you are right. The, if there is guidelines to support the coaches because we need more of them out there. Yeah, 100%. I mean, uh, and another small pro problem with that is also oftentimes I feel associations have got way too many representative teams, right? Um, yeah. if, if, in my opinion, if you, can't, if you can't fit out a team with, with a good coach or at least somebody willing to learn, right, and you have to appoint – parents who are just reluctantly putting their hand up because nobody else wants to do it, that to me shouldn't be a representative team. Then you have to say, sorry, maybe we can run some in-house competition. I think, you know, I've seen Harbour Basketball actually do some work in that space where they have, where they have, you know, like in-house leagues for the next 30, 40 kids, right? So rather than calling these kids representative players, you know, you just organize something where you can have one quality coach overseeing the 40 kids for an evening, right? And they get get to play their games, in my opinion, that's much better than, than having a parent coach a team and then you're sending, sending them somewhere for Easter where they have to fundraise and they're spending all this money with somebody like kudos to them for putting their hand up, right? But but I don't think I don't think that's putting anybody in a situation where, where they can be successful.
Okay, as we're about to come to the end of this uh, this episode, let's talk about Shopmaker Academy. I, you know, I followed you through um social media. It's such a clean looking aesthetically. Like if you look at like your your Instagram follow, uh, and just the way that you put everything together. Just tell me the the background quickly around about Shopmaker Academy. So I started about 10, 11 years ago. Um, I started, I had a different name back then, but I started back in Tauranga basically just to supplement uh, what I was doing work-wise. And, um, you know, main, main focus are around holiday camps and skill development stuff. So, um, you know, when COVID, COVID is uh, allowing us to, I, I go up to Auckland quite frequently and work out, work out with players up there, Hamilton, Tauranga, and uh, I, I like to run some holiday camps here and there, right? But lately, though, or really for, for the last few years, a lot, a lot of my focus has been on, on just providing content, right? So, like, we're talking about resources and, and, and whatnot. So, I try to pump out a lot of content, on, especially on Instagram, um, just to show players and coaches some ideas of what they could be working on that, that I, I find might help them, right? So, so that's what I like to do. You know, I just like to create content, and and um, hopefully, some people will find that useful. Oh, absolutely! Like I'm looking at it now. Like for instance, your latest post you put up is about the pick and roll setup with weekend finishing, and that's a that's um, that's that's great terminology because a lot of like novice coaches will go, "What is that?" And and it's just and I, I and I think you and I can I can also say that you like to share the knowledge. And you're and you're sharing the knowledge, and so. But coming into that, how do you come up with the ideas around what you're going to be teaching and what you're going to share on your content for your Instagram or your social media? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, a lot of it, a lot of it comes from watching games. So I, I try to watch um, at least one game. I'm not talking about a full game, but some type of game pretty much every day. Um, you know, whether it's NBA, Euroleague, um, ANBL, Australian League. Or, or some junior stuff like uh, under-19 World Championship, something like this. I always try to like to watch something. And when I see something that, uh, that I think, oh, I like this, I try to clip it. And, um, and, then, and then I might share it with, with my players who, who, who could benefit from that particular skill, whether that's a pass, a good read on a pick and roll, um, you know, a good defensive sequence. You know, when I'm like, oh, man, look at, look at that defense. You know, I mean, they're like on a string. Uh, and then and then from there I, I might I might uh, break it down and incorporate it into practice. So that's one way. Or I look at some some resources like um, Basketball Immersion. I'm not sure if you know about um, about that website. I think I think their membership is, is fantastic. Like like that's very much in line with um, with my coaching philosophy. So Basketball Immersion is good. They put a lot of great content on there. So you just have a look on their YouTube or Instagram and, and pick up some ideas. I mean, at the end of the day, you copy people, right? I mean, and that, that's a cool thing. So I want people to copy what I do. I copy what others do, right? And then that's how we can share the knowledge and hopefully hopefully make the game better. I mean, just like like I have all my practices are always open. Like anybody can always come to my practice. I never, ever close, close a session, right? So if a coach wants to come and hang out and get some ideas, I don't even care if they would coach in, a, in the same league we're in. wouldn't really bother me. Yeah, they can come and have a look. Well, absolutely, because at the end of the day, like, you know, like, you know, basketball is basketball and it's, it's no one has any you know, provisional rights over certain actions. So, like, I don't own the DHO, so you can't use it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. So, um, yeah, so, 
yeah, I, I love the fact that it, because I think another thing as well is that coaches do get but sacred or whatever they, they, they have and they don't want to share that. But, um, man, we've got to be all be honest with ourselves. We've got to share the knowledge and we've got to make sure that if we want to get better, we've got to share it out. Well, that, that is one thing, one thing I do like about the Australians. The Australians, in my opinion, are, are great at sharing knowledge and coaching. Um, they're, they're so open. Here, like, it can be a problem. I have seen a lot of situations where it's like, I don't want to give you any information. I'm like, okay, right. Uh, but, but in Australia, I've encountered, like, when, when I was at Harvard, the likes of Dean Bickerman, uh, Lemanis, they were amazing in terms of sharing stuff, right? Like, um, um, Peter Lonergan, who, who's, who's an Australian coach manager, he always sends me stuff. Um, there's so many, so many Australian coaches that are so open in, in, in sharing. Like, like I went to Melbourne a couple of years ago. I could go to the Melbourne um, United training with uh, Dean Bickerman, no problem. Sit there, ask questions, ask a high performance manager. Right? They're, they're very, very open. And, uh, and oh, uh, Rob Beveridge is another one um, who coached the Sharks this year. Right? Just so open in terms of sharing um, knowledge. Right? Uh, I think that is one thing. I, I think we we should aim to do better is, is create an environment where we're comfortable to share knowledge here in New Zealand. Excellent, Coach Alex. Hey, thank you very much for your time. And I guarantee we're going to be knocking on your door or choking on your phone to get another episode in because this has been a great insight. And I believe that a lot of people get a lot of value out of this episode. It's been my pleasure and uh, anytime. Oh, awesome. So before we take off, um, how do we get a hold of you? Is it through the, uh, the website, uh, Shopmaker Academy? Yeah, you can go to shopmakeracademy.com, but to be fair, I don't. I only have the holiday camps advertised on there. The best way to follow me would be on uh, Instagram, um, Shopmaker Academy. So I, I like to post stuff, you know, every week. You know, sometimes, sometimes I get a bit, uh, get a bit slack, but uh, yeah, generally speaking, I try to put some stuff out there every week, and uh, like you said, might be useful for some coaches. Mm. Oh, it's a busy lifestyle and to make this a full-time gig you're making sure that you maximize your time as best as possible by getting the content coaching all these teams and doing whatever you can not just for the kids you are but for the culture of the game all right well i appreciate you having me on no problem catch you next time thank you whoa 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 it's full time thank you very much for taking your time out with us here at showtime Morning nz Hopefully you enjoyed the podcast. See you next time. We'd like to actually let you know we are on Facebook and Instagram. We have a social media platform. Jump in, engage. If you have highlights or news you'd like to share around New Zealand basketball or even across the world, DM or PM us. We'll do our best to represent you. And you can represent us, copying the merch, help build our brand so we can keep on the grind and making sure that we are still balling at all levels. Until next time, peace.